Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Season 8, Episode 16, Kevin Scott. Hello there. Welcome along to Talking Com, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. I have my tea to hand, uh, so all I need now then is a guest, uh, which is uh, why we're going to be having someone joining us very shortly indeed. Quick introduction, uh, this is a show where we talk Comic-Cons, comics, pop culture, all the stuff and nonsense we get to enjoy at the shows, which we would usually go and attend uh, while uh, uh, we had the chance. Uh, but obviously 2020, we've had no comic conventions. And indeed, I'm really curious to talk to Kevin about the last one he did, because uh, um, I know for a fact that he shows up at a lot of shows, especially to talk about his Star Wars stuff. But there's plenty of things he can get into because he's um, someone who is incredibly prolific, a writer of comics, prose, and audio plays, gentleman, scholar, and general bond of the Kevin Scott. How the devil are you, sir? Hello there. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Um, it's like we were saying just before we came on air. Um, I'm stunned that you've actually got time to kind of do this because <laughs> uh, uh, it's Wednesday, it's new comic book day. Um, You've got three out today. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's crazy. Really busy. Yeah, so today we had Shadow Service issue four, which is the creator owned I'm doing with Vault Comics. Um, Assassin's Creed, a comic with the longest title in the world. Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Song of Glory, issue two. Um, and then, well, Star Wars Adventures Annual 2020, which is part of my continued campaign to have Jackson the Lappy in everything um, <laughs> to do with a galaxy far, far away. Yes. Uh, I mean, I've been a fan of the Star Wars Adventures books from IDW for a while, um, especially because I'm a big fan of Nick Brokenshire's uh, work. Yeah. And I know that he's doing uh, work inside this as the, as it's the backup yeah. strip. For particular yes, issue. that's right. Uh, so, no, really looking forward to this because I'm enjoying his work. I enjoy your work as well. So, oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's always good to have um, our favourite green wise cracking bunny kicking around the uh, the star wars fringes uh, so uh, yeah that's uh, rather cool but yeah i'm really up for uh, talking about uh, shadow service as well so cool. we're going to get into all of that excellent so i think first things first i mean the way that i've been usually starting these episodes off uh, is three questions number one do you have a cup of tea to hand and what are you drinking i know that because you have been a little bit busy you haven't got a cup to hand have you are you okay you well I, I've, I've just grabbed one um but unfortunately oh, it's I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm letting the side down because I'm going for coffee, which this time of night is a choice, but it's needed at the minute. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, um, it's been a busy day, and so I thought a coffee boost might help. No worries. I, I've been bouncing between PG Tips and Yorkshire Tea. Um, oh, I'm, I'm a Yorkshire Tea. Um, well, I, I, I'm a, there's multiple teas. I mean, yeah. Yorkshire Tea is my, you know, quick a tea bag in and then I've, we've got an entire cupboard of tea leaves and different um, varieties um grantham tea is one of my favorite my, my friend george man um, lives in grantham they do a really nice um black tea up there so he sends me packets every now and then um but yeah we've got loads of teas it's ridiculous it's a little bit of a i have many habits i mean you know they could be worse and one of them <laughs> is buying tea bags and tea tea leaves um so yeah adrian wassell 
tweeted out, oh, yeah, my British friends, uh, what's this tea bag like? Or what's this brew like? And it was Typhoon. And I had yeah. to admit to him, dude, that's a little bit down the pecking order, man. Yeah. Uh, what, who on earth has been inflicting that on you? At which point he then goes, yeah, well, I've got um, some of the actually uh, brews teas and brings them over from Ceylon. And I'm just going, okay. This isn't a. This is not a pissing contest, man. Chill your boots. Uh, <laughs> what the hell? Have um, you tried the Yorkshire tea biscuit tea? Is this? <laughs> no. Um, someone actually bought it for me as a dare. Mm. It's in the other room. And I, I've, I've, I've come round to it a lot. Uh, I think it's actually it's that moment where you want want a biscuit and you go, well, having a biscuit's bad because I can't just have one. Um, so you have a biscuit tea and you've confused your brain enough to think that you've just had a digestive as well. So I'm sure it's actually better for you. It's not as bad. Don't put it in a pot, though. Do it in one, okay. you know, just one tea bag in a mug because it's too weak otherwise. Um, I'm not going to disappear halfway through this conversation just to make a pot of, um, of Yorkshire tea, tea. Uh, biscuit tea. Oh, good grief. Uh, question number two that I've been asking is, what can you remember your first Comic-Con? Because I know that you've done a number of shows across uh, your career, but I know that, um, I mean, when I've uh, seen you at conventions, it's certainly like the Star Wars themed ones, you know, mm. like the, uh, the, the Star Wars conventions. Mm. Can you remember your first uh, Comic-Con that you went to? And did you go as a fan or did you go as a pro? Fan, yeah, I mean, BristolCon, um, Bristol hey. Comic Con, because um, I'm a Bristol boy, um, you know, it was it was one I went to as a fan when it used to be um, in the shed at the Temple Mead Station in Bristol, um, and so I used to go there regularly. My first con ever was a Doctor Who convention in Manchester in nice. the early 90s, but to be fair, I had a lot, a lot to do with the comic size of it as well, so I think that's the bit I was most interested in, and that was as a fan. Um as a pro, I think my first con was San Diego, <laughs> which is hey. just like, oh my heavens, that was a shock. Um, and, <laughs> so, and I remember arriving in San Diego and going, I have arrived, I am here, look at me, I'm a pro. And then seeing the line for the pro badges and going, I'm just one of many pros, it seems. Um, so that was a, it was, yeah, it was to, to do that was my first, first sort of pro con. That was an experience and a half. Has to be I'm trying to remember. I think it was Stephen Moffat, and my favorite. It's one of my favorite San Diego Comic Con stories because uh, we usually try and get in a couple of days before. We certainly go for the, the preview night when we can. And uh, one of the first years that um, Stephen Moffat went over and uh, went to uh, attend, and he was he was going to be one of the showcase um, panels on the Sunday. Except we, I, I was wandering around and I was just sat on the stairs because there's the, the large stairway in between mm -hmm. the kind of two halves of the convention center. And I'm sat there just people watching at this point and people are just starting to come in town. And this very, very pale bloke uh, comes around the corner who could not have looked more like a Scottish tourist if he tried <laughs> with, I believe, like a Hawaiian shirt white socks and sandals he might as well have had the whole knotted hanky thing yeah, yeah. And looking incredibly beetrooted and i just went yeah that's that's stephen moffat uh so he went he was literally wandering around gobsmacked by the size as well and then he i managed to get a selfie with him wished him all the best for the weekend he went down the stairs turned the corner and about 20 uh, doctor who cosplayers passed him just completely blanked him didn't even twig who it was and i just went that's Comic-Con, where it's just such a big thing where people just kind of pass each other and don't even kind of notice. But, yeah, uh, that for your first uh, pro show. That's yeah, I had a Stephen Moffat experience in one of my first ones as well, um, which sounds dodgy. Um, <laughs> it was 
I came out the back of the hall and it was, it, there'd been a Star Wars panel in, in Hall H and um, I, was, I wasn't I was doing Star Wars enough to be important enough to get in quickly on those ones in those days. Um, I'm not sure I am now, to be honest. But anyway, Stephen had been in that with his kids and it was one where they were leading everyone out and off somewhere to see some to see a film or to see the... Um, oh, no, the yeah, the concert, the John Williams concert. The concert, the John um, Williams the back, concert. Yeah. And so I came out the back and was heading towards the Hilton, at which point I looked up and there was hundreds of people walking towards me. And at the front of them was Stephen Moffat. And it was like he was the Pied Piper leaving, leading the fans forward or Moses or someone. And we just had a moment, we went, oh, hello. And then I was just swamped by all these fans going past me. And I was like, what's going on? Um, and yeah, so that was my, my first time I saw Stephen at, at the con. Um, and it's usually something like that. Now when I see him, it's always, he's surrounded by other people. Um, or, you know, his bouncers or, you know, whoever, what yeah. security he has on. But yeah, um, that was a that was an experience and a half that time. Well, well, we'll stick on the subject of San Diego Comic-Con because I'm really mm. curious to what your thoughts on it. But just to remind everybody, it is open forum. It's your show after all. If there's any questions you want to put to Kevin, do let us know because we've got ourselves uh, a whole bunch of people who are uh, joining us. Uh, we've got Rin at 237. I don't know if this is somebody... Uh, who you know? <laughs> uh, who, who's this? This is Corin Howell, who's the artist on. Oh Shadows wow! Oh, no, I'm aware of Corin's work. Oh yeah. Yeah, um, and Corin is wonderful. Corin puts so much detail into her art, and therefore I try and kill her as much as possible by putting as many buildings, vehicles, um, and so on and so forth in Shadow Service. And there is an upcoming issue when where the team go to Rome, and Corin starts on that today, and. The entire script has moments in it when it's me going, I'm so sorry, please don't die. Um, <laughs> because in that sort of very James Bond Mission Impossible sense, we wanted an issue when they go on a travel log, you know, and they go to a foreign city and there's car chases. And and I remember when I, I was a few months ago now when I was writing it, I just kept um, sending her messages um, on Slack going, yeah, there's a lot of vehicles in this. I'm sorry. And she's come back going, you're so not sorry. And I'm really not. Um, so it's, but, it's, yeah. she's, she's put I'm going to be drawing Rome today yeah. and it's all your fault <laughs> it really is it really is <laughs> uh, she, wait, wait till she looks at the script for issue 9 oh god yeah, you are not sorry there you go <laughs> excellent you've also got uh, Solicitor Smeg um, somebody who very much pays attention uh, to the background of our guests uh, saying oh, right. a solid 8 out of 10 on his nerd background Let's only an 8 out of 10 oh okay oh. Um, he's very picky. He is very, oh, okay. he's very, yeah, he's very um, okay. particular about his background. But I mean, come on, you've got a statue of um, face palm Riker up that's, there. I mean, that's my that's my twenty twenty statue. Um, <laughs> every, every it might come down on New Year's Eve. Um, yeah, every day when something happens, I turn to, to Commander Riker and go, "Yep." You're right, and so yeah, I, it, the things do move around on the shelves. Usually, when they become so packed, and I realise I have to take something off. Um, but then, what you can't see is the de the desk, which has there's Hawkman, um, there's the creature from the Black Lagoon, there's a Jawa, there's he's got stuff to hand. Bumblebee, there, you know, they, there's um, oh, we've got a Ratchet as well. Um, they, they, it's everywhere. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And then there's a table of Daleks over there. There's various... Oh, hang on. Anyone who follows me on Instagram knows there is constantly Lego everywhere. And, yeah, it's... um, 
it's it's basically i always say my to-do list now is the same as when i was 10 and i'm trying to keep it there <laughs> as much as possible um whether that's you know the toys and everything that go with it have you seen there's um an american comedian who's done uh, a little bit of a uh, done a TikTok, and it did the rounds over the last couple of days and it's basically her pulling out her to-do list uh, yeah. from the end of december uh, right. 2019 and it's it's basically um make more money uh, mm -hmm. lose weight yeah uh, become more social um and she's just going through and she, she's laughing because she if she doesn't laugh she's going to cry yes um, and it has a another feeling yeah we, there, were, there were lots of plans this year that just have not gone quite right um That's but yeah so, yeah, you know, I mean, what, 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 were your, what were your plans this year? Certainly, when it comes to like comic conventions or just getting out and about and meeting fans. Um, well, the High Republic from Star Wars was the big plan, which was supposed to be August, um, and had been planned to be August for a couple of years. Um, and so there was, yeah, there was going to be San Diego, there was going to be stuff in New York, there was going to be Star Wars Celebration in, in Anaheim, um, and that was just the beginning. So yeah, there was lots of plans um, that. And went slightly awry um as i was in i was in la in february to do the launch um event for the high republic at the disney studios and i think then we had lockdown within weeks of me getting back to the point that my wife was phoning me up going do you think you should come home now because we were doing you know we were over there for a week doing recording and events and um building together um for people who don't know i'm involved in this big star wars event and there's five of us who are sort of um they keep they keep calling us the story architects which is far too grand but we're you know <laughs> we're the ones who've brainstormed stuff and we're putting you know we're driving the story forward across all the different formats so um we had this week in la to do the um, launch, launch event and then to spend some time together and we did have a lovely day in disneyland um just before the world ended um and wow. i think it was um yeah and i remember getting on the plane back and going through lax and going through you know, coming back to Heathrow and sort of just seeing the change in a week, you know, from me going out there and going, oh yeah, this isn't, this isn't going away, is it? Um, no. And so, yeah, it was sort of the, the beginning of that particular end. But, um, but yeah, and so yeah, then, but the plan was, you know, I was going to be back over in a couple of months after that. And then we had the launch in, in the summer and Shadow Surface was launching in the summer. Yeah, there was, there was lots going on, um, which had, it's been adapted it hasn't you know you know obviously things have been delayed and things but you know things are still happening it's just in a very different way yeah i, I think it was c2e2 and yeah. i had a couple of friends who had gone out for that um uh, i'm sure i think dan berry is watching i'm sure you'll correct me if it was the a different convention but it was one of those conventions where people it's so like i had friends who were uh, tabling and they were all just going okay there's a lot of sanitizing going on and there's a lot of people mm. being very weary and there's this word we keep hearing coronavirus we just mm. keep hearing this and we don't know what's going on and then literally yeah you know as they're leaving the convention or as they're on the plane the world just kind of stopped it was just it is yeah. insane uh into the boom mystery is saying okay we'll bump it up to a nine now that we've Thank had a investi investigation of the, of the background and you can't see the batmobile collection up there the rank oh on the wall um <laughs> galactus looking down from behind a uh, front of a picture of Wicket the Ewok, um, Grimlock, 
Oh, it's ridiculous. It is properly ridiculous. It's like, uh, you know, I'm a grown man. It's um, not ridiculous. That's the I know. thing. Come but on. the thing is, everything's out of the box. Most of it's out of the boxes because I I'm not one of those who buys things and then keeps them in boxes. They're out to be played with. Um, Good man. You know, Good and man. so, but not to be dusted half the time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, um, and above all, you can't see is a signed picture of Roger Moore who watches over me at all times as my oh, painted wow. site. So, okay. um, oh, sorry, so, yeah. nice, nice deep cut there, sir. Yeah, patron saint. Oh, never mind, never mind, never mind. Okay, um, so we'll dive into, um, yeah, uh, the, a couple of the questions, and this is kind of where I was going uh, with San Diego Comic Con yes. and what you thought of it going to it. I mean, Solistrous Meg is asking, do you prefer the super busy larger conventions or do you prefer the smaller events? I love. I like them in different ways for different things. I mean, I, I love the theatre of a large convention. I don't particularly love trudging through a hall full of people, you know. But um, what I love about conventions, and this is whether it's a big one or a small one, is that when you're not at a convention and you work in this industry and you're online in this industry, you can start to forget that people love this stuff. Um, and you can get wrapped up in all the arguments and all the, the wars and all the drama. And when you go to a convention, you sit back and let you, you let the joy wash over you. And again, you remember what it's like to be a fan. You remember what it's like to be surrounded by people who love the stuff you love. Um, and that's why I love conventions. And yeah, there is nothing more terrifying and nothing more thrilling than going into a huge hall at San Diego or New York or, or wherever and feeling that excitement. But at the same time, you know, it's great when you're sitting in a small convention in, you know, Portsmouth, in a bar, you know, in, in the local town hall and chatting to people, um, you know, one to one. And, but yeah, I mean, large and small, that's why I love conventions. It's because then you remember that people love the same stuff you love and why they love it and all those problems you have in the world all those um those let's say those battles that are going on online all the time that all melts away um and it recharges your battery and that's what i've missed this year i've missed those moments of being a fan amongst fans um you know and before you know as my room does show i am a fan of all the stuff it's that you know it is my life and so I've missed that moment. I've missed the looking at stuff and going, oh, that's cool. You know, um, and seeing friends I don't, I only see at conventions uh, and all of that. But yeah, it's just that um, energy boost you get from a con. I think that's the thing I miss it most of all. Uh, I mean, when it comes to the larger conventions, uh, the one which will stick in my head is Star Wars Celebration. Because I went to the one when it came to London yeah, uh, yeah, three four years ago. Yeah, um, and uh, I mean, a big convention like San Diego or New York. I mean, San Diego is really the one that I've done. And when you're diving into that, and it, you're you're swimming in a sea of pop culture, you can kind of like move to a hall and get a different flavor and a different ambience, mm. or a different something to else to enjoy. I actually had to step outside of the XL a couple of times that particular weekend because it really was like, I mean, the way I describe it is like. Robinson's fruit juice without any other water. It's like just pure, <laughs> pure concentrate of yeah. just non-stop non Star Wars. It was just quite intense. The last time I saw you on screen properly at a convention was Star Wars Celebration, and it was when I think they just uh, you were releasing or announcing High Republic. 
Yeah. And they set it up with this kind of like the runway in, in the middle of everything, in the middle of all mm. of this thing. Yeah, the Star Wars show, yeah. Yeah. What yeah. was that experience like to just walk out onto a runway? It was bonkers. <laughs> Sur surrounded by this stuff. So you got to put it, we'd been working on this for well over a year by that point. Um, we knew we were going to announce elements of the initiative. We found out quite not that long before then that we, you know, we were going to, it was going to be shrouded in mystery. It was going to be called project luminous. It was, you know, we were, we had this very scripted panel um, when, you know, we could say things and we, there was lots we couldn't say. Um, and I think it was on the third day we were there or the fourth day that we did that announcement. So we'd been building up to this and no one knew even our fellow writers didn't know you know so we'd been doing all these uh we we we'd signed we had this big signing session for the um from a certain point of view book which had 10 of us i think all in a row um sign in and a queue that went around the block and no one else there except for the five of us knew what was coming and it was really hard because these were our friends as well you know keeping stuff secret publicly is what we do all the time you know it's part of our job keeping something private from your friends is something very very different and you know and your colleagues and so it was weird so we were on tender hooks the entire convention and we knew we had this panel and then we knew we were going to take straight from the panel and we were going on the star wars show um which was this thing so star wars show um the you know the the, the youtube show for star wars Every time at convention at the, at the celebration, they have it in the middle of the main hall. They have a stage, um, and they present the Star Wars show live. So people, it's great actually because people, if you're in the main hall, you get a chance to look them and go, "Oh, there's Lando Carizian," you know, because uh, you know it's it's not just you know chumps like me. It's you know the big stars, um, the big film stars are up there on the on the stage being um, interviewed by Andy and Anthony. Um, and so we were taken there, we were taken around the back and we were literally thrown onto the stage. Mike Sklain, <laughs> who's the head of publishing, was terrified because this was the first time we'd really been let loose with microphones. Anthony Carboni, who's the presenter, was determined to mess with our heads. Um, and so... Speech, isn't he? <laughs> we, he really is. We, he, Mike was round, round the back, biting his nails to the quick because he was worried we'd get really excited and go, oh, it's called the High Republic. Um, and all these things that we knew, you know, um, and it just was the most surreal thing in the world. Um, and it was just like having this mosh pit of people in front of you watching it as well. It was just weird. And they've been pumped up and people had left that pit for hours. So they were getting a bit delirious and there we are, you know. Um, yeah, so it was very odd. It's very, I do mean, you know, celebration, it feels like home in a lot of ways. You know, it's one of my main fandoms in my, in my life. So I, I like the fact that I'm surrounded by Star Wars 24-7 in that convention because it's a happy place. So, um, but yeah, that one in particular was odd because, <laughs> we, knew, because we knew everything that was going to go and, and happen. And we spent a lot of time, the five of us, going off together because there was a worry that we would spill something. Or, oh, and wow. every, every interview we did before the announcement was really tense because we were worrying that you know you, you say something you shouldn't I, I was going to turn around and say something along the lines of do your friends just uh kind of think to themselves hang on a second something must something big must be coming down the horizon 
because Kevin's not talking about Star Wars at all, and usually he will be just talking <laughs> about Star Wars, but no, he's not saying anything. God, there must be something huge. But then I can imagine for a lot of your friends, they're in the same boat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we do, we do, those of us who work, you know, are NDA'd up to the max, you know, we do talk and we do share things, but we're all careful. I mean, I think, as I don't think I shut up that much, it's it's very rare for me to shut up at all. (laughs) So um, it was, yeah, I think I was just more vague than usual. Um, And probably, it was probably fine, but I was just paranoid, absolutely paranoid. Um, And, and yeah, I mean, there's people wandering around in stormtrooper outfits. You don't know which of those actually work for Disney, and whether mm-hmm. any of those blasters are real. So you don't know. You know, it's, this could be this could all be a honey trap. Um, one, of my, so, one of my favorite stories is um, at Lakes Festival, and this is about four or five years ago. This is, I think, Last Jedi. Yeah, I think it'd be Last Jedi, and Jock was doing um, uh, work for it, yeah. and it was a, a good twelve. 13, 14 months before the film was uh, due to go out. So we're talking deep in pre-production. And he was sat there, and it was a spotlight panel on the stage uh, at the Lakes Festival in the uh, Brewery Arts. And he described the uh, the situation where he, don't ask me anything, because I can't. And you can actually see him picturing the little red laser pointer mm-hmm. heading somewhere towards his forehead. You could yeah. see the sweat pouring off him as he was it's the, oh, it's the biggest worry. I mean, you can understand why people like Tom Holland, you know, who's always blurting stuff out in interviews. It must just be, I can't even imagine what that must be like, you know, to go into press for, for you know, the, the Avengers movies and know what's coming up and not be able to, oh, it'd be horrible. Um, and so I'm very, yeah, I'm quite glad I can just do it at my level and then not worry about it too much. Of course, this um, day, you know, this year I've not been able to, you know, we can't say anything to anyone. So we're just in our rooms, just talking to our toys. So, you know, yeah, it's no different. <laughs> how, how do you feel that the fandom has changed, if at all, since the release of The Rise of Skywalker? Have they kind of calmed the hell down or are they still just as rambunctious and... Um, I think all fandoms have that element at the minute. Um, And again, I don't think it's... People talk about fandoms and they talk about it as if it covers everyone. And it's such a small group, um, I would think, that, you know, compared to the wider fandom, you know, and it's... And that's not to denigrate the online fandoms because I think they're really important, you know, and I'm, I'm a member of many of them, but... You can't get too. You can't think about it too much because it'll be crazy, and and you, you would drive yourself mad. And you have to realize that yeah, it's, it goes beyond those cores, and it's a really difficult balancing act because those cores are really important, you know, and they they matter. But then you're also dealing with a wider group of people as well. I mean, yeah, there are arguments. So I say, and it's not Star Wars. It's not just Doctor Who. It's it's across every. I mean, I, I'm lucky. I, I am very fortunate. I work across a lot of different fandoms, and I see the same arguments on every single one, and I see the same um, problems in every single one. And I think it's part. It's not so much the fandom. It's Twitter. It's Facebook. It's social media. Um, it's and I think it's not having face to face in convention time. I think it, it's made it. It's made it worse um, because everyone is just a little bit more um, enclosed and, in, and trapped and, and, you know, and trying to hold on to these things. Um, and as I, I, I always try and remember, if people are cross because something's happened in the, in the thing they love, it's because they love it, you know, and because 
because they have so you know have so much passion about it and i have that passion as well and i have those moments of going well why are they doing that um i've learned maybe not to say that out loud so much these days so i think i've changed in my fandoms because it's not fair on other people who I work with if i you know because if i suddenly make a comment about star wars now it's not kevin scott making a comment it becomes lucasfilm employee kevin scott has a comment and so it it does change the way you have to interact and i've got no problem with people telling me that they don't like a certain part of star wars or doctor who or assassin's creed or dc or whatever um but i'd always much rather find out what they actually enjoy and so there's been a few cases where you know people have come in because they're still hurt that the expanded universe isn't canon anymore um there's still um you know that there's still a lot a lot of resentment for that because people love that and they you know i i love that i put a lot of of my time into reading those especially the comic side of things um and you know and yeah so people do come at me because i write for canon star wars you know and and they want to have their word but to be fair i'd much rather talk about what their favorite book is i'd much <laughs> rather find out what they loved about the EU, what was their favorite comic series from Dark Horse? What was their favorite trilogy? You know, are they a new Jedi Order fan or are they, you know, to me, that's more interesting. And that's the kind of conversations I want to have. And I think they get drowned out every now and then. Um, and I think that's sad. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a Dark Empire chap. Um, uh, I, I, liked, I like Dark Empire a lot. I, uh, yeah. I was into the Dark Horse books at that point. Um, I'm always curious when it comes to uh, Star Wars writers. I mean, have you been watching The Mandalorian? Uh, do you personally feel that you have to keep abreast of things that are happening in the franchise, just in case it could affect something that you may have in mind? Or, it, or is it all I kept do. in mind by the story? I mean, to be fair, fair, I'd watch it anyway. And Mando is, well, that's Friday night with the kids. You know, they come home yeah. from school, I finish work, we eat tea, and then we watch Mandalorian. Um, just as before, we watch Resistance and we watch Rebels. And... Um, so that's our sort of family Star Wars time. I do try and keep up because, yeah, I feel because I'm because of the way I work, I like give, uh, popping references in, I like knowing what's going on. I can't keep up because there's too much of it. Um, I, I find myself, you know, suddenly there's been two or three issues of a comic come, you know, the other day I sat down and read the last three issues of Charles's Star Wars run because I just haven't had time to catch up on it. Sorry, Charles. Um, but yeah, I mean, I try my hardest. Um, I think I listen to Star Wars audiobooks more than read Star Wars books now because I think by when I read, I read at the end of the day usually, and I don't want to start thinking about work. Um, and it has become work, and you know, and it's a glorious thing. But if I start reading the latest Star Wars novel, I immediately my brain quick, quick um, switches into work mode, um, and so I start thinking about things. So I I listen to the latest release on audio when I go walking in the morning or or find a different part of the day. Or I, I'll i go back and read Legends books. You know, so, you know, there is if I want to read a Star Wars book, I'll go back and read a Legends book, knowing that I'm catching, I'm keeping up with canon in the work day. So, um, so yeah, I, but I do try. I mean, stuff about Mando, I'd watch it anyway. Um, and I try, I try to switch off the work brain while I'm watching it. Um, and go back and watch it again for work reasons, if I have to. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into what you have been reading and what you've been consuming over the course of uh, uh, the summer, because 
Um, certainly for people that uh, I've been interviewing, which do have a lot on their plate, they've been very picky and choosy about what they yeah. have the time to take on. But um, I know that you also write for a whole range of media, including um, uh, audio plays and audio dramas. Yeah. Speaking of Star Wars, have you heard the um, uh, Doctor Aphra audio drama? And what did you think? I have. I loved it because it was, I, I feel quite protective over Star Wars audio drama after doing Dooku Jedi's lot Jedi Lost last year. Um, and so I was, yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm just hope there's going to be a lot more. And uh, I loved it. Um, I think Aphra is one of the best characters to come out of modern Star Wars comics. Um, and so I loved the fact that she was. You know, she was the first one to make the leap over to have a, an original drama. And I thought, I thought the script was witty. I, I thought it, it it summed up the character so well, um, and could have been the pilot for an ongoing series. I keep hoping that we're going to. I mean, we've been, we've been seeing a lot showing up, certainly in season two of Mando, mm. uh, and I hopefully for like in the final five seconds of um, uh, Mando second season. All of a sudden, Afro just shows up out of nowhere and just blows people's minds. That would that would really that'd be amazing, that would, wouldn't that, it? That would, that would be, be incredible. That would be incredible. Can we talk about um, from a certain point of view? Because that was such an ambitious book. Uh, yes. That was such. Um, when I heard about that as a, an idea, and not only that, but just the talent pool that was involved. I mean, first and foremost, what did you think about being included in that roster of uh, talent? And then well, it was amazing. when you do. When you get approached uh, to do a book or to contribute to a book like that, I mean, what um, do you do? Well, I mean, with that one in particular, I um, it was so funny. It was I was asked who I'd like to to cover for them from a certain point of view, and I sort of said, "Oh, I'd love to do the Obi One the moment when Obi One dies from Obi One's point of view," and they went, "Okay, then." And I went, "What now?" <laughs> when I said when I when I said I'd love to do it, it doesn't mean I know what to do. Um, <laughs> and it, yeah, it, it definitely, it was definitely a bit of a shock when I realised I now had to write it. Um, but that book has been really important because that book, it brought the writers together because obviously we are all scattered around and we're all writing different things. And we all saw each other at the conventions, but suddenly we had a joint project and it was the launch at New York Comic Con. Um, and we signed everyone who came to the panel got a copy of the book signed by as many of us i think it was 15 of us on the panel Whoa. um and the panel was done over a period you know five people would come in and then five, go out and the next five would come in um and and yeah it was it was really interesting because suddenly we had a joint project and we were in that room where we were signing together for the period of comic con keep going in for another you know do the next load and it was hundreds and it was this production line of us all sitting there and you know and we, we go out for dinner afterwards and and it became a club it became a group and i think it was one of the best moments for star wars writing at the minute because everyone's really got to know each other over that weekend and we became a community in ourselves um and then when it came to doing project luminous i suddenly realized that i knew the other four writers from you know those moments um so yeah it's massively important massively important for um for what we're doing now that's really cool um well also well let's dive into some of the other uh, projects as well i mean if anyone has any other star wars questions anyone has any questions at all do dive in on the uh, q a youtube's probably the best bet because that's where we get to see the questions up first but but by all means anything you want to put to cavern please do um 
but certainly the book that I'd like to talk about is uh, the one we're up to, issue four, uh, which okay. is, uh, like I say, out um, today. And it really, I mean, you shared with me the um, the, the issues uh, which uh, are up to date, and uh, I was blown away by it. It really was just an incredible book. Uh, this is Shadow Service. Um, by the way, just to let you know, we do have uh, David Disanyaki watching. Bye. Uh, uh, so uh, yeah, he's, he's keeping. Be careful now. He, absolutely, uh, Shadow Service. Um, we've talked about Corin's work, and uh, we put up pages. We'll put up more as well. Trina Farrell, who I'm a massive, massive fan. She's of. amazing. Uh, what what she's doing with the pages is just incredible. Yeah. Uh, if you can give us the elevator pitch, because I can imagine people reading it, depending on your age, and your thoughts on. The likes of witches and wizards, anything to um, uh, real deep fantasy, uh, to spy stories. They can kind of all pick at it and come at it from a slightly different angle. From yourself, what was the elevator pitch for for Seek Shadow Service? Um, I think the email I sent um, Adrian at, at Vault. The title was Tinker Tailor Soldier Witch, and nice. um, and. Although it does, you know, it does veer more into a lot of Bond territory as well. Basically, um, the the sort of tagline for the entire thing is "Black Ops Meet Black Magic," and it, it's a supernatural spy story about a working witch on the streets of London who's recruited for Britain's supernatural super, um, secret agency. Um, and so it's it's a, a, a genre mashup of spy thriller, of supernatural thriller, um, of street magic. Um, it's basically what's been inside my head for years and all the things I love rolled in together. Um, far more monsters than I thought there was going to be, but that's all <laughs> well, that's, I think that's where I uh, kind of was curious as to where um, your take on it was. Mm. Because, I mean, I also went, I mean, you, you say street magic, but I'm going like Cthulhu. I'm going full Lovecraft on a lot of the stuff that's going on on the pages. I and mean, it, there's some, it's not your straightforward um, traditional <laughs> hammer monsters. Uh, there's some no. real kind of, there's some beasts going on in this book. Yeah. And a lot of that's got to do with Corrin. Now I have a love of cosmic horror uh, and horror in general. It's my, yeah, it's my, it's my genre. It's what I love. Um, and when we were put together on the book, so I'd worked with Corrin before on Star Wars, um, but when I pitched it, we had no artists involved. Um, no artists attached. And Adrian suggested Corin, and it was just one of those moments when I was kicking myself going, obviously. Um, <laughs> but then when the pages started to come, come back and the amount of tentacles that were on them um, and the, the type of demon there was, I always knew there was going to be monsters. Most of the things I write have monsters in them, even when they're not supposed to. Um, but when I started to see the artwork coming back, and the one thing I think that stood out to a lot of people, there are these amazing... Scott, there we are. There's one. Um, these statues, um, which are these angelic um, skull face statues, which Corin absolutely added to everything um, and have now become a part of the story. And that's what I'm loving about Shadow Service, that it is a pure um, collaboration because, yeah, the original idea came out of my head and it came from my influences it came from my love of bond it came from my love of mission impossible my love of hammer my love of, of you know lovecraftian fiction um my love of sort of that very british 2000 ad kind of humor and then 
it's been made perfect by Karen being involved because she has pushed it at every turn. Um, and when I asked for Gore, she just put buckets in, um, in a really inventive way. And so, so yeah, it's definitely become um, our book, you know, um, working together, which I think it would have been a completely different book if I'd been writing. It started off in my head as a novel um a long time well i've been writing mi666 stories for years but never finding a home for them really i never actually finding what i wanted to do with them until we we did this book um and now i can't think of it in any other way i i, I mean like i said there's so much going off in this book and so many different um kind of mashups of genres and you mm. can send, definitely pick, uh, piece those uh, influences. I mean, it's great that you mentioned Mission Impossible because that's certainly uh, uh, something that you get out of there. But also that everything from Jessica Jones, that real kind of like the the gritty kind of PI kind of story. The, the, yeah. The PI, PI noir. There's literally everything bucket loads in there. Um, so um, the, the, for those who don't know, have not read it, and go and read it for heaven's sake. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, it, Based, it's based around a character called Gina Meyer, who is a witch who's working as a private investigator in London, who has always considered herself a freak, doesn't really know that about the magical world exists outside of herself. She knows, well, she has a best friend who's a talking rat. So she, you know, she's got a general idea that the world isn't as straightforward as it, everyone thinks it is. However, um, she doesn't realise how how bizarre the world actually is um, and how people are trying to keep it the way it should be. Um and so she has been working as a private investigator. She has been working almost pro bono for a lot of people. Um, and she became, she crystallized what this version of, I say, a, a concept I've been writing for years in different ways became. Because before then, it was a spy thriller. It had the team. At one point, it had just one character it was going to have. And then there was a team of people, I say, a Mission Impossible type team. It didn't have the heart of the book. And I couldn't make it work. And it needed that character of a someone who's recruited from the streets you know who become and that's i love while i love your bonds of this world i do love spy thrillers where someone is brought in you know from the streets and trained and thrown into this world sort of the the mon mon more john lakari and of, of espionage um the real people and yeah so this real person can also conjure up lots of horrible things and so she became the linchpin for everything um and again when i saw corin's designs for her before we started on issue one um then i you know that was the moment when i go oh, that's who she is and and yeah and then from them the rest of the book sort of fell into place how important was it for it to be set in the uk for yourself i always yeah i always wanted it to be in the uk um because i wanted to do i wanted to delve into sort of you know urban fantasy in in london it, you know it, it's it's what i love um it's it you know, there's so much mythology and, and and folklore that we can delve into you know if and when the series goes on beyond its initial 10 books which i'm hoping it will um yeah so i wanted to write it from from write what you know and i don't know much about lovecraftian monsters thank heavens but i do know you know what it's like to see london and so it was yeah it was very important i'd say 2000 ad and early 2000 ad um has an influence on me one of the influences on this book is from scream with the dracula file 
um, which I loved as a kid. Um, and if you, people don't know that, it's a story of Dracula coming to the UK and a KGB officer defecting to come and find him because the KGB going, well, do we care if Dracula goes to the UK? He will destroy all the, the you know, corrupt West. And this, this officer goes, yeah, but that's really evil of us. Um, <laughs> and I loved that. And then the weird thing was this year, I got the chance to write the end of that for the Scream special, Halloween special, which was nice. just bizarre. Um, and yeah, things like that and Doctor Who and it, it's all wrapped up in there. It is proper a proper melting pot of, for my first you know, true creator-owned comic. It was the it, it. It felt like it was the story I wanted to tell because, it, again, it's it's my to-do list hasn't changed that much in the last thirty years, and so it was me picking off all those things I've been thinking about for the last three decades and and pouring it into this book. I mean, um, the question I was going to ask was, what is the difference for you in writing for established IPs like Assassin's Creed? like uh, Star Wars and the creator own books? What's the, the difference? Is it the same process um, when it comes to actually just sitting down and getting the work done? Or is there something different that you feel that you've done because it's something that you have to, I mean, number one, for all the, um, uh, the, the IPs, there's so much you have to service when it comes to mm. those established properties. So I can imagine mm. there's some form of mechanics involved in having to write for those. How's it yeah. different than writing uh, shadow service and writing your own creator and stuff. It's it's funny. It's scarier in a lot of ways because you realise the buck stops with you and your fellow creators. You know, so when you're writing for something like Doctor Who or Star Wars or Vikings or Star Trek, the bo the box already exists and you have to work within it. And the the boundaries are there. When you write something for yourself, you have to put those boundaries in place. Otherwise, you haven't got a clue what you're doing. And so. There was that. There is that moment, um, and it's the first one that's come out. It's actually not the first one I worked on because of twenty twenty. There is other yeah. stuff coming that should have been coming and should probably should have hit before, but hasn't. Um, but with all of them, it's been a case of me going, "Well, can someone tell me what what happens, please? Or can someone tell me, you know, what what's this universe?" And they're going, "Well, that's what you're supposed to tell us." And you're like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right." Um, and so that yeah, there is a freedom there that you haven't got. Um, you know, there is freedom with, within IP. I think people think it's more it's more constrictive than it it actually is. Um, but I think the lessons you learn from doing IP work are so important. So you have to work quick. You have to work. Um, you have to check your ego in on the door. Um, and we've all got egos. And I'm sure there's people who are working on the book <laughs> watching this going. You did what, Kevin? Um, and but you know, you have to remember when you're working on Star Wars. At the end of the day, it's not your property, and you know you can you have to pick your fights, and you have to be you're passionate about what you believe. But at the end of the day, if someone says no, it's this way, it's that way, um, and so yeah, you can't get too too personal about it. Yeah. And hopefully, I've you know I've pulled that over to working on creator own stuff as well, because yeah, while it is my story, it's also the story of everyone else on the team as well, you know, and they're putting in just as much as I am. So, I mean, you know, the case of artists, probably, you know, more because you know, artists live with these characters day by day by day when a writer spends a few days working on a script and then dips into it as, as the creative process goes on in the month. An artist is doing that, that, that book for a month, you know, and it, so it's everything that they're, it's consuming there every minute, especially when you make your artist draw Rome. Um, and so, yeah, so I think you have to remember that all those things you learn 
working on an IP are just important when, you know, when you're working on your own things. Um, yeah, there are those moments when you go, oh, hang on, I don't know. I, I, I remember one time when I, because I started working in Doctor Who, it was my first ever job. And so with the Doctor, you have to think in a very certain way. And the Doctor can't just end the story blowing something up. Well, he does quite often, to be fair. But most of the time, they're supposed to, you know, the Doctors are supposed to think logically and try and find the most, you know, pacifist way out of it. Um, and I remember them working on Judge Dredd and going, oh, hang on, he can just shoot people. Because you know, <laughs> I, I was coming up with all these really intricate ways that dread will get out of a situation. And it was like, he has got high X. It was like, oh yeah, of course he has. Um, and so it's, it's those moments where you find yourself going, all right, I'm, I'm in, doc, I'm in Star Wars land. So I've got, you know, this have got to have the characters wouldn't, wouldn't, they wouldn't act like that. But actually in my world, they can act like that. And so that's the joy of it. And, but that's why I like moving through from one universe to another, as I do in my sort of other side of my job, because it, you get to, push different buttons and you get to to play with different ways of telling a story so it's very hard for me to separate the two is my you know that's the the short form without a very long-winded answer uh, i mean i do like asking this question of uh creator owned writers especially those that have instigated the idea like you say you've had this bubbling around in the back of your noodle for quite some time but then it goes from having a script, having a story, and put then going to writers, uh, sorry, to artists, like you have done, who have so much creativity, that are then bringing um, character designs, uh, story mm -hmm. designs, the way that the world, they are rendering the world to the page. How then have that, has that folded back into your story and evolved it uh, in terms of, how has it changed it from that original pitch where you just, seen sort of the the input of uh, uh of your artists and just gone okay well we can just go this direction or yeah 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 well i think with yeah. with shadow service in particular because as soon as i saw what corin was doing i realized how far i could push it um and when i saw the kind of monster work she was doing i was like right so we can really go for it with monsters and and as i said those statues were a huge part of it there is a part of the story later on um, where I knew where it was going, but I didn't quite know what how it was going to get there. And as soon as I started to see those statues, I went, "Oh, that's how." Um, and so, yeah, and that's it. That's I would say I have everything I've worked on recently. This book has evolved the most because of of the input of Corin, um, because um, because yeah, I mean, we we worked together very briefly on a short story for Star Wars, um, but we'd never really, you know, worked that closely, and and we never really tapped into the fact we both love horror, and we both like probably, you know, at some points same kind of horror, and other points different. Um, Corin's got a, 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 a love of a manga, which I have, but not to the level of Corin. So she pointed me in directions of things that, um, you know, that I should be reading that that could then influence what we're doing. So. So yeah, it's it's I can't I can't even begin to think what this book would be like if she wasn't there. And 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 Triona as well, because as soon as the colours went on, it really got that sort what of trees doing, What Tree's doing with this book is insane. I know. It's pure noir. I mean, we said it originally, you know, on the original pitch document, it was like, this is, you know, supernatural noir. But it was the first page that came back of London in the rain with all the lights on the on the on the on the road. And I went, Oh no, we we can really go for this, um, and yeah, it was just that moment of just going, oh yeah, <laughs> this is going to be fun. Um, 
which is important when you've got a book that you know it's got a guaranteed 10 issues you know you, you're gonna have to work together as a team for for a while and so it's been a real joy to sort of push it you know beyond the board and again um rebecca um taylor our, our editor as well she has helped mold this in a way that perhaps i, I wasn't prepared for um for different parts of the story i can't say too much but you know there was um one of the early episodes when an episode one of the early issues we were talking about um we were talking about um gina's character um and how much she knows about the magical world and in my original pitch she knew a lot more she knew what mi666 was and um and and rebecca taste and said well you know why why does she know what it is and I was like, oh, yeah, that's a very good point. Because it's that moment, you know, <laughs> James Bond will go into every hotel and they go, oh, Mr. Bond. And you go, how do they know him? Um, and so if these people are doing their job, you don't know that. I mean, that's the thing I find terrifying in a way and also comforting about the Secret Service in the real world is that you're not supposed to know when they're operating. You're not supposed to know. And I do, you know, I read a lot of books of, uh, when I was starting this of real MI6 agents and real MI5 agents, you know, and they're like, you shouldn't know when we're solving plots to blow up the capital. You shouldn't know when there's a threat to the country because that's our job. And um, and it was that moment, where, yeah, when we said in that meeting, how does she know? And it's like, oh, so she thinks she's on her own. And that changed her character and it informed so much about her character and where she was going um, because it completely, it just turned everything. So the story is the same. But her reaction to it changed. And I think that's made it a more compelling story. And that's completely the team. That's completely a group. And that's why I love comics. Um, and it's, it works on IP comics as well. I started not in comics, but I started in audio and radio drama. And so, again, you're not part of, you're not just writing on your own. You're writing for other people. You're writing, in that case, for actors. You're writing for the director, for the producer. With comics, you're writing for the artist, the letterer, the you know, the editor, the, the colorist. Um, and then and then you're writing for the reader because, you know, together you've made it something that you can hand out to the reader and hopefully they will see what you're doing. And so for me, my love of comics and my love of, of radio drama are so interlinked because it's a proper collaboration. I love writing prose. It's very, it's, I find it quite hard because I, I'm just here going, okay, it's just me then. And, you know, and yeah. the editors and, you know, and there's your team but um, and I'm very lucky, and I have um, a couple of, of friends, George Mann, who I work with um, a lot, um, Mark Wright, who um, people who, who know Doctor Who and Star and Star Trek um, will, will know from from comics and, and books, um, and we started writing together, and um, both those guys and the three of us, we we bounce stuff around, and so even when you are writing in the middle of a novel, you've got someone you can, you know bounce it off but it's still not the same as working on a comic um or working on an audio drama or television or or whatever because they i like the team aspect i always think that's important yeah um i'm gonna ask the question and i don't want you to get pissed off with me because uh, i don't <laughs> want to word this wrong but we'll see how we go with it okay when i was when i was reading shadow service and knowing it had vault on the front so you mm. know the kind of books that Vault put out—they're very yeah. intelligent. They're very, but they're very—they—they uh, they can deal with high, high or, uh, horror. They can deal with high fantasy. They can—they're slightly for a very, very in-tuned audience. They know mm. what they—it's—it's it's a very clued-up audience. 
But reading this book, uh, it really was going from page to page as to who the shadow, uh, secret, uh, shadow service was aimed for, uh, whether it was a YA story, whether it was um, a teen book, whether it was adult fantasy, uh, so uh, for a, a slightly all, older audience. And it seemed to shift from throughout the book um, as to where the tone was, um, because it really did feel that... Uh, Anyone could jump in and read this, even from a young, a, a young YA audience, which at the end of the day is a growing audience uh, in comics. Um, so I, want, I wasn't too sure if that was something that you were trying to tap into with certain um, aspects of the story. But then you have some real high kind of um, gore and horror in there. Mm. I, I think the question is then, who do you feel is the audience for Shadow Service? I have no problem if YA audiences come to Shadow Service because YA books can be some of the best horror books you have ever read. Because in YA, and I mean this beyond comics and uh, into books as well, there's a certain sense in YA that you can just do things. You know, you can have the adventure for the for the for the sake of adventure, and you're not you're not getting het up about oh, is this adult enough, or is this you know. It's the, it's a story for the for the pure sense of story, and and that's yeah. not to denigrate it at all because I think it's the most um, some of the most emotional writing you can get through a YA as well, and I think it's the fact that with YA you don't have to feel embarrassed, and I think sometimes when you get into adult literature, um, there is a sense of well, it, it can't, well we've got this is serious, you know, um, and I wanted Shadow Service to be fun. And I want it to have some hard-knitting moments. And I want it to have some, um, you know, to make you think and go back and find things that you didn't notice the first time and all that. But I wanted it to be fun. So I want that sense that I get from reading a good YA novel um, where, where it is about total engagement, um, I think, in that, in that market for me. Reading it as someone who's not, you know, who's a 47-year-old man, you know, that when I read YA, that's what I get from it. And so I would never put myself in the place of the audience for YA, but that's what I get for it. That's why I love the joy of YA. Um, but at the same point, again, it's all part about remembering the joy I got of reading 2000 AD at the time when I was a kid, you know, because let's face it, 2000 AD was, was all ages, but it, it also pushed up, you know, and I think that's what I was trying to do. I wanted to create a book in Shadow Service that, you know, from YA up, you could read. Now, I'm not saying it's an all-age book by any means, because right. it's not. Um, and as I said, I didn't expect it to be so horror-led. I think then it then it's developed. And I think part of that is to be developed as we've got more comfortable as a team. Um, but yeah, and, and I will put my hand, hand up and say, yeah, I absolutely wrote this to be as commercial as I could, you know, could. I wanted it to be a book that people would be able to pick up and enjoy. And it would it would appeal to the widest horror comic audience that, you know, it can. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. Um, so my, my other stuff I've got coming isn't, you know, isn't probably so so um, so open as that. But yeah, it was always supposed to be, this is the horror Mission Impossible. This is the horror Bond. This is the horror spy story that you can pick up. If you're a horror fan, you will find something in there that you will love. If you're a spy fan, you'll find something in there you will love. If you're a an urban fantasy reader, you will find um, 
something that you know love because I am all those things. And so my Venn diagram has shadow service in the middle. Um, and so I think that's that's why it's ended up like that. Hopefully people are sticking with it. And I think it's it perhaps started off more YA and is, is developing into something else. But I think that's the roots. It was never meant to be a YA book, but I think it, sure. I wanted oh, no, to no, write I, something. I, I mean, I wasn't saying it to degenerate. No, no. YA, and I, I, YA, I, I love YA, you know. Yeah, same here. And which is why I'm absolutely gutted about Artemis Fowl um, mm. when it comes to the adaptation, which was shite. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, so the, the, you say there's a, a 10 issue fixed art yeah. which uh, you, you've committed to with um, uh, Vault. You can definitely feel that you have spent so much time on this, creating the world uh, of uh, uh, Shadow Service. And you can feel that there's so much more that you want to pour into this. Do you have stories beyond those 10? And where can it go? Um, yes, is the honest answer. Um, so, so we've got the first five issues running now we're going to have a break between january to march um and then have the second arc well it's, it's all one big arc but it's, it very much splits into two halves um so we can then launch the trade around sort of march april and people can go and get that catch up and then pick up issue six where the story um picks up again from where it left off yeah run through to 10 and then absolutely we've got other stories to tell i mean there's 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 seeds going into those earliest issues that we want to be able to push out beyond the 10. Um, it's it's a world, we're definitely trying to create a world here. Um, and what I've loved about it is the fact that we've had a longer form story. So we have been able to, you know, if it was a four issue or five issue miniseries, we'd had to cram a lot more about Gina's past into those issues. You know, the fact we could take time to experience who she was. Um, and then now we're trying to explore who the rest of the team are as well. I mean, it's been, it was so good that Vault are committed to these kind of stories. I mean, there's there's George's book, Engine Ward, as well, which issues out today as well. Again, that's 10, 12 issues, you know. So the fact that Vault are committing to these long, longer form stories is fantastic. Um, and it gives you so much more freedom to create a world. Um, and you know, some of the reviews came back for issue one. It's like, you're not explaining everything about and this they it seemed to be a good thing from the reviews you know it, it's you're thrown into the world and you're learning how the magic works by seeing the magic work and it was like yeah that because we've got the time to do it we haven't got to get all the rules down in issue one so you can then explain exactly how everything's going to be because we can open it up and it does very purposely start as a private investigator story and the world gets bigger and bigger and bigger for every issue and it was um because it was 10 issues we could do that and Likewise, when we get to issue 10, hopefully the world up will open up even more and then you'll realise, okay, so it's it's more than we thought it was going to be. And that's been the, the aim for Shadow Service all the way through. And I think that's why that sort of leans into that sense of, like, you know, it's 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 changing us. It's because we're starting small-ish and then we're building and building and building. And there's going to, issue 10, there's a definite, you know, there's a point that if you read those 10 issues, you get a story. But there's more to go and you know and we're hoping um that we'll be there to be able to tell that story cool um i'm curious to see i'm gonna watch your face and see how you react to this uh, the tone i got from it um is the same kind of tone and the vibe and the energy that i got when i watched ultraviolet uh the uh there you go he got he get the reference he knows what i'm on about um that uh the this is the television series um yeah. 
where they, uh, where they don't mention vampires. But yeah, like you say, that discovery, the peeling of the onion, and the, yeah, the yeah. kind of uh, the reason uh, I smile is the um the first. I don't know if I've got it here. First, <laughs> this is where um, you pull it off your shelf and you've got it. No, 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 no. Well, no, it is, it is up here. But um, my first ever, my first ever work that I did, um, proper in IP was this um, Project Twilight, which was a Doctor Who audio play. Oh, there you are. Um, back you before Doctor Who was what it is now. It was in the sort of you know the wilderness years. Big Finish Productions did these plays um, with the original cast. Original um, companions and new companions, and Mark Wright, who I mentioned earlier, and I wrote the script, and it's so influenced by Ultraviolet. It, it's um, it was basically we were doing what would happen if um, Doctor Who did Ultraviolet and Blade, and and that's the story. Um, and it is, it is definitely the same world. You can imagine that. So those those stories in Doctor Who fandom, they're the the Forge stories, and you can imagine the Forge existing within the world of shadow service and vice versa and perhaps they do um and it's but again it's 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 the story i've been wanting to tell for a long time and so there are definitely tropes that in my past work that you'll see again um in shadow service and explored in a different way and that's the joy of it i'm not saying that everything i'm going to write is going to be within that universe okay. but um again it's the you know open my veins and i will bleed this stuff and it's um it's it's definitely there. And so it's been there for like, yes, I, so that came out 20 years ago next year. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's very, it's, it's fitting that around the time issue 10 comes to an end on the, hopefully that first part of the first run, it's pretty much to the month where project twilight came out 20 years before. And there's definitely a, you can see the sort of the beginning and end. Um, if you, if you have both, uh, have a look at both of them. Wow, excellent. Um, we'll also very, very quickly touch on um, a project that, uh, like I say, we've, it's also released today. Um, mm -hmm. And the reason why I want to talk about this is because Assassin's Creed, with what mm -hmm. Dark Horse are doing with it, uh, the um, I think it's just a sheer ambition uh, of what they're doing with the stories is just incredible. If you can tell us a little bit about Valhalla Song of Glory, uh, issue two out today. Um, yeah. Just tell us a bit more about that story. So this is um, the sort of three-part prequel to the current game, which came out um, the last couple of weeks. I was brought in because I'm a big Viking nerd. I wrote the Vikings comic for Titan back in the day. Um, again, Vikings is one of those things I come back to. And so I was brought in because they really wanted someone who knows Vikings. And what we wanted to do with the series is that it is absolutely set within the Assassin's Creed world, but it's a Viking comic as well. And, you know, and so it's we're, what we're doing with the Dark Horse run. And I think, you know, as we'll see more and more, it's really digging deep into the worlds that the various Assassin um, Creed book, um, games take us um, and into those eras and to make you feel that you're going back in time to that particular era. So this is the story that introduces our main characters from, from the game um, and sets up again. It's, it's very much, it's, it's, it's its own story. It's its own, you know, these characters have a life before you see them in the game. And I think that's what people love about Saturn's Creed. You you feel the you feel how complete the world is when you jump into it. Um beyond the wider meta story of Assassin's Creed. Um and so yeah, it was I was flown over to the studios in Canada. We had a very intensive few days of getting into the nitty-gritty of what a Viking story would be in Assassin's Creed. Um and and yeah, the, and this is the result. Wow, 
I mean, uh, I, I, I got into, because I'm not a gamer, uh, so it mm -hmm. is purely the stories that I've read. Uh, it's the yeah. comics I've read when it comes to Assassin's Creed, and also the books as well. Um, but um, I, I think it reached uh, an absolute nadir when um, uh, Alex Patnadel uh, took on his uh, take of uh, Assassin's Creed. What he did with the story was just incredible. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I haven't picked up my copy of this yet, so I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to uh, to reading more about this particular book. Yeah. Um, and you're talking about all sorts of other projects uh, coming down the line. We'll kind of finish on that, uh, just as a tease of what else you've got coming. Yeah. But because of all of this stuff that you've got going on, and especially with 2020 being as it's been, where we've either been locked indoors or we've just been kind yeah. of like we've been given this tunnel vision of things we have to either um, kind of shut everything out or stay in here. Um, it, that kind of changes what you're also uh, taking on board. And the people I've been speaking to over the course of the summer, it's a real 50-50 split. It's either taking everything new, everything that they can find, every Kickstarter, every, every anything fresh that they can find, or mm. binging Friends again. And just doing <laughs> well, that's, my, that's my youngest daughter. She's watched it about 17 times this year. <laughs> uh, so what's it been for yourself? I mean, where, which way have you been falling? Um, I think I've been going back. I've been using comics as comfort and going back and rereading or catching up. I'm, I'm a massive superhero comic fan, catching up on things that I've missed. So like the entire Hawkman run. I'm bit, uh, I say Hawkman's on my desk. I'm a big Hawkman fan. And I, I've been buying the recent run, but not actually reading it. Yeah, you know, because I, you know it's one of those things. I, I'm, I'm a, I have to read piles um, that go up through you know, to the roof. And also because of my job, I do have to read a lot of stuff um, for work. And so there's things that I, I miss out on. So I've been using this time to go back and reread um, Wonder Woman Rebirth from the beginning. Um, read the champions, which I meant to read, you know, from the, through the Jim Zub era and that kind of thing for Marvel. Um, read Hawkman, you know, and, and go back and, and um, read Monstrous, which I, I started and then I dipped out of, and so go back and reread. So I've been doing that with comics and also going back and reading Teen Titans from the 80s, going back and reading the John Byrne um, Fantastic Four run, uh, still one of my favorite times in comics. Sure. Um, and and revisiting in the past and then through books finding new things so i've been reading again a lot of horror um it will just be asked by joe kaplan i've been reading a lot of ghost stories um recently because it's that time of year um it, um it, yeah it, it will just be asked by joe kaplan absolutely blew me away it's a really original take of um on, on ghost stories um and then on the from the other sort of like end of the extreme there's clown in the cornfield by um, adam Cesare, which is a a love letter to um a love letter to slasher movies and so so i've been reading things i think that are are comforting um so i've been going back to my genres that i love so much um but yeah comics has been funny because comics has been a case of i've been going back and rereading or or using it as an opportunity I'm going right the year's been put on pause there's all that stuff i meant to read that i should be reading um so why don't i go and do that now um and i i struggled to read anything at the beginning of lockdown with the first one um yeah. and what i needed then i needed something like star wars to kick me off because i tried to read loads of things that didn't work so i went back and i read the third part of the darth bane trilogy from legends um and that was it i was off as soon as i had that sort of it was that again it was that thing i was in a safe place and i was reading something i love um 
and I put that book down and the next one came up. And so it's been, I've not read a lot of IP fiction, um, prose fiction since then, but it was what, you know, that was what got me reading again. Um, and then since then, I think you, you consume horror at times when the world's quite <laughs> rough as well, because um, you go, well, it can't, it's not as all bad as all this. Um, oh, the Survivor Song by Paul Trevely. Uh, it was like, I can't believe I was reading. I was saying to Mike Segalina at Lucasfilm, you should read this. It's about a pandemic. I was like, I know, <laughs> brilliant. Um, but yeah, so I've been using, I've been reading a lot more horror. I, I, I usually read a lot of crime and I've not been reading much crime. I've been reading a lot of horror um, because it just seems the right year to, to read it. But yeah, going back, the comics have been my, my comfort of going, I'm going to do long form series reading you know and going back and rereading stuff or or finding a long you know series that's now in its sort of 50 40 50 and going i'm going to start that marvel U is the one of the best apps in the world because you can just go back and delve through everything so i'm, I'm, a, I'm a superhero fan at heart and so yeah going back and and going i'm going to go back and read oh yeah and i bought like the the teen titans you know big omnibuses um oh, wow. and treating myself to those at the beginning of the lockdown and I've been working my way through them. Um, because again, you can go back and learn so much about storytelling from the greats. Um, and you realize how fresh those stories actually are and how much they can teach you for writing something like Shadow Service. You know, there's uh, all Star Wars. You know, I go back and see what, you know, Wolfman was doing in those early issues. And I'm like, this is incredible. Um, I think it's because I've watched Titans, the TV show, and then I went back and went, I, it, it reminded me how much I used to love reading Titans and I'd fallen out reading it. Um, and so I went back and, you know, and I delved into various points of the history um, and just went back to the original. Um, the comic that gets, the magazine that gets me continually is Back Issues, which is, if you don't know, it's a, a magazine about sort of 80s and 90s comics and 70s comics. Um, and it's it's like, catnip i read that and then i'm reading everything to do with it you know and it's in my bank balance gets really battered um but yeah so it's been interesting i don't know i think my my comic reading will change again when we when this passes because it will pass um but i've enjoyed those weekends when i go right this week i'm reading this you know and 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 it's almost like a challenge can i get through this entire run you know, can yeah. I go back and, what, and read the early 90s detective comics, um, you know, and Anarchy and all of sort of that era? Um, yeah, and it's been really important. And um, and Superman. Superman is always important to me. But I think at this moment we've needed hope. Um, and it's a cliche, but you read a good Superman comic and you get hope. And, um, and, you're, and that's why I love, for all my love of horror and darkness and bleakness, I can go back and read some of those runs of Superman and go... Yeah, we can be better. I've never understood the uh, the tweets and the comments and the conversations that have happened over the lockdown about why it's uh, it's such a challenge. So writing, uh, coming coming across Superman or uh, taking on the Czech character of Superman is such a challenge. It's so, and yeah, you, you have to, it, you know, why why is it a challenge? And I'm going, that's not the point of Superman. Like I say, it's hope. It really is the the kind of and it's the, it's someone wanting to be better himself and i think one of the best things dc did sorry we're going into a, off on a tangent here is yep. rebirth of superman and bringing back the 80s burn superman giving him a family giving him That's a son mine. making superman a dad was and i was you know I, I was dad of two young girls and it just rang so true and there's an issue i think mike Morisi wrote it 
and I'm sorry if I've got the got it wrong, Mike, or whoever wrote it. Um, but there's an issue as one shot in the middle of Action Comics or Superman, can't remember which from, where it's Clark remembering a lesson his dad gave him and realizing how he's got to change it to give John. And it was just the most beautiful character piece. And I don't I never find Superman boring because I don't actually think he is purely good. I think he he's a human character and he struggles and he, you know, and um i can take my superman in very different flavors and i think again the, another one i went back and read was just before rebirth um greg pack's run where superman lost his powers and started wearing the black t-shirt of super superboy's black t-shirt and um stands around smallville holding chains with everyone else and yeah doing things like re remove superman's powers and he becomes more superman than ever and um that was one of the ones I read quite early. I went back and read Greg's run quite early on. I think, I think the clue is in the name. It's Superman. Yes. I know. I know. I, I don't I don't get it. I don't get the... I know people like darkness. And I know I'm a, I'm a Batman fan as much as anyone else. And I love Wolverine and yada, yada, yada. To be fair, I like my Batman when he has Robin. Um, because I like my Batman to have a bit of... To be remembered, to be pulled back to the light. Um, I, I, my favourite is Damien. Um, yeah, well, I love Damien. It just brings out that. I mean, at the moment, he lights up. The, he lights up the book because yeah. when Damon's in the book, Bruce is making Damon better, and Damon is making Bruce better. Yes, and together they work. I would love there to be a Batman and Robin comic every month with those two, um, and I would read all the other Bat books. But give me a Batman. Always give me Robin in some way because Robin, all the Robins, like the Doctor and the Companions. Batman needs Robin. Because Batman needs to remember why he's Batman. Um, and that's what Robin does. Um, and then Robin learns from Batman. And it's just the perfect it's the perfect um, combination. And that's what I felt about John and Clark at, at that period in time. And, you know, and that's moved on now. We've changed and it's comics and things change. But as I always say, that's always there. I can always go back and read those you know, issues when they've got the, you know, the, the farm, the, the Kent farm again. Um and I, you know, I still read Superman. I'm still enjoying Superman, and I will always go. I will probably always go back to that period of time and read read those. Um, and yeah, but yeah, I, I I like my superheroes with a touch of humanity, and I think that quite that comes from the relationships. And I think Superman is right in the middle of it. He's Superman on his own is boring when it's just being Superman. When it's about his powers, when he's with his friends, when you see him with Batman, when you see him with Lois, when you see him with Jimmy, when you see him having to cope with all these things, then he's fascinating and he's one of the most fascinating characters in comics. I should one stop the, talking about Superman uh, now. Uh, don't worry about it. I mean, one of the books that I read, uh, one of the comfort food books I read over the summer um, was John Byrne's Man of Steel. And yeah. it's actually, I mean, you talk about his uh, interaction with the other characters. It's my favorite two panels in comics. And I've posted that on this on Twitter before. And it's when um, Superman's about to arrest Batman. He's Batman's on the top of the, the, the building. He's about to come down and said, no, you, I, I'm just going to take you in now. At uh, which point he said, no, just have a look at me with the, uh, that those super, that super, I yeah. uh, supervision that you've apparently got. And at which point the outline and it's uh, apparently there's a, uh, a um, field which detects super dense material. In other words, Superman, you, and it's going to trigger off a bomb somewhere in the city, killing an innocent person. And that dynamic between Superman and Batman, and the, that whole run of what John Byrne did with mm. Superman, with Man of Steel, is amazing. Considering that it reminds you, right at the very end, he was born 
the moment that the capsule landed on Earth, and therefore. Yeah, yeah. He's, Earth. he's from Earth. Yeah, he's yeah, Earth. absolutely love that. I, I think in the recent one, I, when I went back and read Wonder Woman, there's an amazing thing in the first annual of Rebirth for Wonder Woman where she meets Batman and Superman for the first time and they fight and then, because obviously they're superheroes, um, and she holds out the the Golden Perfect and they all grab it and they all say their names. And she says, Diana. And Superman says, Clark. And Batman says, Batman. And Clark goes, Really? <laughs> it's just like, and I love that moment. Um, and it's like, again, that when the first time in the, in the rebirth run where they all go around to the Kent farm for, for dinner and they have pie, and, and Damon goes, Batman doesn't eat pie. Um, you know, and it's, and, and again, I love, I love those characters, and, and it's the human side of them. That's what makes them appealing. And um, yeah, that, that's, that's, my, that's my Superman. That's, that's what I love. That's cool. Uh, the other books as well. Um, I did a reread of uh, Warrior, uh, mm-hmm. which is obviously the uh, the the Fleetway book, because I was determined to not just take on your Viva Vendetta. It wasn't just Miracle Man. Um, it wasn't just. I mean, there's just so many different stories in that entire um, uh, book that it's just incredible. So I was rereading that. Uh, did the whole Miracle Man reread. I tried rereading Animal Man. Again, and I know yeah. that everyone says it's the touchstone. It's the one that you go for. It's it's Grant Morrison's reinventing of comics. I've tried three times now, and I, I can't do it. Yeah. I, 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 the good news is I'm an, we're an hour and 15 into this now, which means we're talking hardcore fans, uh, hardcore viewers of this. I know, I'm thinking and I, I, can't, I can't really upset anybody by saying no. I, I struggle with that every single time. I really do. For me, the touchstone is Doom Patrol. Of that time you know so i think that's the one i keep coming back to yeah so cool uh and also um when it comes to i mean we were talking about uh because that, that's one of the best things about um interviewing uh uh publishers interviewing creators and stuff when they say we're, we're just glad that you don't pitch us leonard because i don't have any yeah. any ideas in my head at all for mm. a pitch or for anything mm. but if i have an idea for something it is a sequel to um uh, ultraviolet Mm-hmm. Uh, and also a adaptation of, and you were talking. The reason why I brought this up is because you were talking about your horror um, influences yeah. and horror stories. Um, Weave World from Clive Barker. Oh, I, yeah, have, yeah. I have in my head a two-film adaptation of that, but that's why I, I like to say that's what I've been going back to. So yeah, um, yeah. it's been cool. Uh, the questions or comments. Thankfully, people have just been enjoying us uh, yammering on, which is great. Um, uh, Into the Blue Mist. I think I'm the only person on the planet which <laughs> isn't watching The Mandalorian. Um, Check it out, especially the second season. It's it's mm. shaping up very very nicely indeed. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, also talking about Dark Empire, Cam Kennedy's on that was. Uh, well, we're saying that. I'm, there I'm you go. You're going to pull my, it to hand, my, my tie crawler from Dark Empire, which is constantly nice. on the desk. Told cool. you, it's full of stuff. This one. Uh, Into the Blue Mister again. I love bonkers crossovers. Probably my mm-hmm. favourite is Star Trek Doctor Who. Yep. Um, yeah, uh, that's something which uh, you kind of see from uh, IDW. I, I mean, I don't want to shit stir. That's, that's, this isn't anything what I do on this show, but I'm really curious what your relationship with uh, IDW is at the moment and what your, th- uh, your, your take on the company, seeing as it has been un- so tumultuous over the last couple of months. Um, I've been very lucky that I've been working throughout it's all with them so i've been working you mentioned crossovers i've been working on transformers back to the future um and i'm working on more star wars stuff with them at the minute so yeah it's been it's been 
it's been challenging but you know comics have been challenging sure. for everyone um and yeah it's um it's hard because you know people have left idw who are friends people are there who are friends it's um it's a really you know the all these situations in you know i've received an email today from another publisher of someone who's not going back to their job and it's hard because you work with these people a lot and you and they become they become friends and family and so it's difficult to see it going on especially when you are on the other side of the atlantic and all you want to do is get together and say do you want to go for a drink or for a coffee it's it's a lot more difficult now um and so so yeah it's it's hard and i I, like all these things i don't really know what's going on behind the doors no one does Mm. um and i think that's what um kind of everyone's uh, thought about dc comics i mean it was just Mm. the fact that it was it seems so it not it wasn't sudden we knew it was coming and david did an interview with someone who was who analyzes the industry Mm. and kind of went they almost used pandemic as an excuse. This was almost this was on the cards anyway, because of what AT and T were planning to do to streamline the business. Um, but even then, people were just it just came out of the blue for so many people. And like you say, there's there's people who we're not going to see in those roles, and and no. hopefully they're going to stick in comics and they're going to stick I around think, and keep doing what they do. I think again, it comes back to what we were talking about fandoms. It's remembering that people are people. And I think it's all too easy to forget that. And that's why I think when you come back to the problems with the... You said earlier on that when you see face-to-face, it's, it's a lot easier because you'd never talk to people like you do online. You'd never gossip about people publicly like you do online. You'd yeah. never make judgments like you do about people online because they're still people and you forget that sometimes so easily. And I do the same. You forget that these people have lives and they have, you know... They have all the stuff that's going on and all the shit that's going on, and that's probably far more important to them at the minute than you know whatever they, you know that's being argued about. Um, yeah. And I always try and take a step back, and I don't always achieve it by any means, and just go, I don't know what they're dealing with. When that lands, I have no idea what their state of mind is. Um, and as a writer, you develop really, really tough skin. You have to. Um, and you know and you do say it's all water off a duck's back and most of the time it is but then there are those days when it really isn't and it's never because of your work it's never because of that cutting remark someone's made it's because of something that's going on in your life at the same time that means you can't quite cope with it as well Um, and I think that's what we're all going through we're having to cope through so much at the minute um, that it's just that case of you know it's a cliche but just be kind and be kinder. And I think that's what I'm trying to remember when I don't hear back from someone from a company because I'm waiting on notes and the notes haven't arrived and, you know, and it's going to start impacting on what I'm doing next week and that kind of thing. There's a lot going on behind every door at the minute. Um, And I think that's what we all need to try and remember. Um, I know I try to. I don't always remember it, but I um, (laughs) I try my hardest. Do do what we can. Excellent stuff. Listen, we're coming up on an hour and a half. I think mm. it's fair to say that we've uh, um, we've talked, we've taken some time of your time, taken some of your time, and uh, it's it's been a pleasure to to talk to you, Kevin. Thank you so much indeed for coming on. Thanks for having me. Um, no, no, absolutely, uh, especially with the books you've got coming out this week, but also upcoming as well. Uh, you were kind of teasing us about things that uh, are on the horizon. Well, there's High Republic. 
I don't know, if, which we've been talking that about a lot, but it's now 49 days away. Um, and so um, we've got the books and comics, um, the comic there um, from Marvel um, it launches on the 6th of January. Um, we're working um, on just checking who, who's doing who's doing art on that. Who's, who's it's Ario. Um, yeah, so it's, it's Ari. He's working on it at the minute. Um, it's a brilliant team. It's amazing. It's again, it's that it's a classic thing that I've been working on High Republic for two years um and i had very set ideas and, and we've been very lucky actually for a book series and for a comic series we've had disney's concept artists working on the characters which is unheard of um but there's still loads of elements of it you know we've got it's all set on this big um, space station which you can see on the cover there starlight beacon we had no idea really what that looked like before until aria joined the book and it was um it was amazing and it's just, um, it's again, it's taken it in places. It's the tone of the comic has changed after seeing Aria's art for issue one, um, wow. because it's again, you realize what the artist can bring to it, and you realize how much you can push them and where you put you can push them. Um, so yeah, that comes out on the sixth, the day before Charles Soule's novel, like the Jedi, comes out, um, and yes, Justina's I novel. I got that to hand. I don't think I do. I'm not um, sure. Well. No. Uh, no, I don't. No, no, I thought I had to. Nope. Hand, but no, no. Um, Justina's um, middle grade novel comes out as well that day, and then it's followed up by Daniel Jose Older's IDW comics, Star Wars High Republic Adventures. Um, we've got um, Claudia Gray's YA novel, Into the Dark. Um, and that's the first wave of all this. And and I don't think it's, it, I've, got, I've got to be really careful what I say about the High Republic. <laughs> There's going to be more news coming. It's going to be a avalanche of news over the next few weeks um but this is why you've won and this is this is going this is going on for a long time now um this is going to be a major part of star wars publishing and beyond so yeah we've been working on it for nearly just well over two years now um it should have been out there we should have had people in mm -hmm. people's hands we know it's been a, a, a long wait um but we're just so excited to get it out there um and yeah, so that's my big sort of um, the big that's the big the... thing that's happening. But then also there's work we mentioned DC. I've got work coming out from DC, and there will be more to come next year as well. Um, because a couple of things have been announced, and I've got a, a Wonder Woman um, Agent of Peace as well as the digital first coming out. I think next week or the week after. I've got a story in the next people they've been getting special. involved on those books have been so impressive. They're great. They're great books, and they're a really great book for their of continuity and intercontinuity. So if you don't, you don't have to understand everything. You haven't had to read the last three years of Wonder Woman to understand it. But if you want a Wonder Woman story, there it is. Or if you, you know, there's a Superman book and there's, there's loads of them. Um, so I've written, I've written for something for those lines. I've written one of the stories for the DC Valentine special next year. Um, and there's more stuff in the works as well. So there's going to be a, you know, the, 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 the comic fan in me, um, you know, as, as a 10 year old who would go and buy Marvel UK comics, who would go and find DC comics in car boot sales and jumbo sales because they were more difficult to find when I was a kid than because they didn't have Marvel UK pushing them out every week. Um, I still can't believe that, you know, I'm writing for Marvel and DC. It's just bonkers. It makes no sense to me whatsoever, but <laughs> I'm very fortunate and I love working for these with these characters and I love working with these companies and I'm taking it so seriously because i'm hoping there's going to be kids who will pick up my um, high republic issue one just as i picked up 
Star Wars Weekly, you know, issue seven or whatever it was, and go, I could, I want to do that. Um, and it's exactly how I started reading Marvel Star Wars comics. And now I'm, I'm writing a Star Wars comic for Marvel. It's exactly how I started reading superhero comics when I discovered, you know, um, oh, the DC Comics Presents, which opened my eyes to what DC was. Um, and so I never take it for granted and I always take it seriously. And I always, I know how much people love these things because I love them too. Um, and so I'm so excited for some of the stuff we've got coming. Um, and I oh, wish God. I could tell you what it was. But I can't. Um, <laughs> but soon it will be there. Excellent. Um, and like I say, we've got the books that are out this week. So you've mm -hmm. got Star Wars Adventures uh, Annual 2020. You do have uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla Song of Glory, issue two out uh, today. Mm -hmm. And Shadow Service, issue four, mm -hmm. is out today. Um, that is the book which I would heartily recommend going out and checking. Thank you. Because you can tell that Cav has just thrown heart and soul into this book. It's just absolutely impressive as hell. Kevin, thank you so much indeed for coming yeah, on. It's you. been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Hopefully, we'll get you back on middle of next year, beginning of next when uh, well, I can more talk stuff, about things. more stuff's out. Yeah, yeah, when you can talk about stuff. Yeah, be good. To Although it hasn't stopped feedback. us here, really, to be honest. <laughs> good point. Um, where is the best place for people to keep a track on what you're doing? Because obviously, you get some people with newsletters, you get some, yeah. some people with your websites. Where is the best place for to point people um, in the direction? Website's probably the best. You know, um, so. I here on the screen www.kevinscott.com um I, or on twitter at kevin scott i'm on instagram i'm on pretty much everything but those are the two places that you can find me um and um yeah and i'm always always willing to talk comics as you've probably just discovered um, <laughs> so so yeah come and say hi absolutely um kevin it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much Thank you. Uh, congratulations on the book today congratulations on the su uh, success of shadow service and more to come i'm looking forward to it Excellent. Thank you very Excellent much. Excellent stuff. Take care. Look after yourself, sir. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Excellent stuff. Uh, so there you go, Kevin Scott. Um, he is going to be, um, like I said, on all the social medias, do check out his books. And once again, do check out that um, rather excellent shadow service. Um, you've got issue one there on the screen, but it's up to four issues at the moment. And right now it's, I mean, it, it hits the ground running, but my God, is it getting into a, a serious um, engine spurt? Uh, with issue four, something very uh, very fun to check out. Right, uh, that has been us. Thank you very much indeed for joining us for our midweek show. Uh, we're doing these uh, Wednesday shows while we're in lockdown, because otherwise I'll have no sense of time whatsoever. But we are back again uh, on sun uh, Sunday with this show. But uh, we do actually have something special uh, for uh, our show, uh, which is going to be happening um, on Saturday, uh, because somebody else who's been incredibly busy over the course of uh, the summer, uh, Al Ewing, um, well, summer, the last couple of years, my God, the man's been on fire. Um, he has had, of course, Immortal Hulk. He's had himself um, the massive Empire event for Marvel, uh, which he's been uh, one of the masterminds of. Looking forward to talking to him. It's going to be our usual time, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. GMT. And then on Sunday, we're going to be talking to somebody. You may not recognize the name, Maitachini, but um, you recognize the site that he is the editor-in-chief for, Den of Geek. Um, up to this particular date, I've been saying that we may actually have more word about the landscape of the, the winter. And you'd think by this time, uh, by the 22nd, I mean, what, what's the, uh, the date that uh, we're going to be having on, 22nd? So we'd have found out more about Black Widow and we'd have found out more about Wonder Woman 1984. What's going to be happening uh, with the, the landscape of pop culture and how it's all concertina and 
barreling into 2021 where what can we expect from uh, that particular uh, uh, that landscape uh, we're going to be talking to uh, mike on sunday about that looking forward to announcing our guests hopefully in the next couple of days for next wednesday and then on sunday the 29th of november we do have a special episode the white noise boys uh alex patnadel ram v dan waters and rhino sullivan i pray i swear to god this isn't turning into a vault comics channel i swear i promise but as it happens let's see the way it happens this is the way it's falling so it's rather cool looking forward to talking to them because my god they're on fire uh, especially with alex patnadel um yes uh, go check out Giga because it's very, very good. But my God, check out TKO Studios Red Fork because when I say that it's career best um, from a guy like Alex Pagnadel, that's saying something. It's a hell of a book. Uh, Ram V as well, Dan Waters, Rhino Sullivan, they're all doing incredible work. We're going to be talking to them en masse on the Sunday 29th of November, final one of this month. Looking forward to it. Take care. Enjoy the rest of the uh, your uh, evening. I'm going to be back again on Saturday with Al, uh, with Al Ewing. Um, as always, if you've enjoyed the show, like, comment, subscribe, um, and do all of that jazz down below. And we'll see you on Saturday for our incidental episode of Talking Con, a cup of tea with Englishman in San Diego. From me to you, from Cavan as well, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego is a production of the Convention Collective. Visit the Convention Collective for all of your convention news and updates. And support the podcast at patreon.com Englishman SDCC.